0: This podcast is one of the many good ones on the Self Defense Radio Network.
1: This is Clay from Skilled Gentleman Podcast. You're listening to Today's Survival Show with Bob Maine.
0: I'm Bob Maine. Welcome to another episode of Today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is a practical show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't believe in that. I try to keep things rooted in common sense. And this episode, this particular episode, number 291, is not really tinfoil hat-ish. It's about some real stuff that's actually happening in the world that you really need to pay attention to. And I think it's going to be uh, great. You're going to like it. This show is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network, one of two survival and prepping shows on the Self-Defense Radio Network. You should check them all out at selfdefenseradio.net. And speaking of the Self-Defense Radio Network, uh, there is two sponsors now. For the network, Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, that's Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, good legal protection for only $135 per year in case you have to defend yourself with a gun. And if you have to defend yourself with a gun, you're going to need legal protection. Check it out. They sponsor the network. Please use tracking code Paul Lathrop or 15625. Paul Lathrop or one five six. This will be in the show notes in case you forget. And Concealment Solutions, makers of awesome holsters that I use. I have about seven or eight of their holsters for different guns that I carry. Concealmentsolutions.com. Because you're a self-defense radio network listener, you get 10% off. Just use the coupon code SDRN when you place your order. You have to use the special link that's in the show notes as well. And last but not least, please remember my Amazon store. The guest here on this podcast, Dr. Peter Pry, um, Cal Wilson, by the way, who has done a lot of guest hosting for me, did a great job interviewing Dr. Peter Pry. And uh, he's he's a very well-known author on EMPs and several other things. If you get dr Pry's books go to amazon.com but go to my store if you would there's a link in the show notes for my amazon store and it's also in the menu at today's survival.com you will support the show by doing that you don't have to spend any extra money how cool is that so check it out and here we go cal wilson interviews dr peter Pry. by the way i am not going to be coming on with any comments after this Because I think it's just a very, very well done interview and there's not much more that I can add to it. So I think you're going to learn a lot from this. Cal Wilson interviewing Dr. Peter Pry. I'll catch you next time. Stay tuned.
2: Hello, everyone. This is Cal Wilson, author of Dirt Cheat, Valuable Prepping and EMP, The End of the Grid as we know it. But we're not here today to talk about my books. We're here to talk to Dr. Peter Pry about his new book called The Long Sunday, Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2017. It's a book that seems very timely. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone that if you shop at Amazon.com, you can do so in a way that will not add to your cost, but will support the production of Today's Survival.com podcast. If you just start off at the Today's Survival.com website, that's Today's Survival with two S's, Click on the Amazon Store link at the top left, then click at the Amazon picture, and then start shopping as normal. Like I said, it will not add to your cost, but it will help out Today's Survival. One other thing uh, Bob Main wanted me to pass along is his request that, however you listen to this podcast, in fact, all of Today's Survival podcasts, whether it's iTunes or, or wherever, if you go ahead and leave a review for the podcast, because... That way, these podcasts will get noticed more by the general public, and that's an important thing. All right, let me uh, read this introduction I got for Dr. Pry here. We're joined today by Dr. Peter Pry, who is the Executive Director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security and Director of the U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum, both Congressional Advisory Boards. He has served on the Congressional Strategic Posture Commission and the House Armed Services Committees. He's also worked for the CIA. Currently, he is Chief of Staff of the Congressional EMP Commission. Uh, He is author of four books on EMP, including his latest book, entitled The Long Sunday, Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2017. Dr. Pry, thanks for joining us here at Today's Survival. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, Dr. Pry, can you refresh our listeners' minds regarding an EMP attack? What would the average person on the street feel if they were in an area that was attacked uh, with an EMP?
1: is like a super energetic radio wave and it'll pass harmlessly through your body but they would see things you know they, they would see cars stopping um uh they might see uh transformers the small transformers up on top of telephone poles blowing up exploding uh if they're in an industrial area uh you know there might be explosions uh Gas pipelines are usually most places in city. Gas pipelines would explode if firestorms in cities, so they uh, they would be you know quickly surrounded by uh, by all kinds of dangerous phenomena being caused by the EMP. Uh, although them, they themselves wouldn't feel it any more than they would feel a radio wave. The bomb because it detonates at high altitude, base, basically in outer space, at least 30 kilometers up, it could be high as 400 kilometers to cover the whole country. You know, that's so high that there's no blast effects felt on the ground. There's no thermal effects, no fallout. uh, On a cloudy day,
2: And then they would notice all the power going out at least for several days before anybody even has any idea. That's kind of what I was thinking. It seems like it's so catastrophically dangerous, and yet it still boggles the mind that it's not on everybody's mind. It's not anything that comes up on any given, you know, if you watch the TV news any given week, you'll hear a whole lot more about the Zika virus than you would about an EMP issue, you know? Yeah, so it wouldn't be just, I mean, theoretically what could happen was not just an EMP, but it would be several different attacks on the grid all at the same time. That's what we could be facing today.
1: advanced civilizations on earth yep. and so it's really the greatest threat uh, that uh, that uh, civilized man has ever faced in, uh, in history
2: One of the prongs that you mentioned would be physical attacks and that's something that, that uh, has happened throughout the world but we've actually experienced that here already in 2013 outside of San Jose right?
1: Yeah that's right outside on uh, the 16th of April 2013 and uh, I wrote an article about this but uh, it, it to have been noticed by many other people, but on that very day, uh, you know, we were in the midst of one of the worst nuclear crises ever with North Korea, It was in the aftermath of North Korea's third illegal nuclear test. So the Obama administration uh, had United Nations slap, you know, harsher sanctions on North Korea, and Kim Jong Un started threatening retaliation, nuclear retaliation for that, threatening to make nuclear missile strikes against. Uh, the United States and our allies, Japan and South Korea. And in the midst of this uh, nuclear, we, re- and Obama administration, to its credit, took the threat so seriously that they beefed up national missile defenses, were flying B 2s along the little Tri zone, uh, you know, doing bombing exercises to try to deter and warn Kim Jong un not to act on his threats. Uh, to the president's, uh, uh, I praise so- the president in that respect. However, he deserves criticism, too, for basically lying to the American people at the time and telling them that North Korea could not deliver on these nuclear missile threats to strike the United States because they had not. Good timing. Impressive.
2: mentioned in your and, uh, book that uh, a Scud missile was designed by geniuses to be operated by idiots. Is that right, something like that? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, so you know, it's even, the, even the
1: Houthis, Yemen, have, uh, have Scud missiles, and they managed to kill the uh, chief of the Saudi Arabian Air Force <laughs> last, uh, 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 I think it was last year, with a strike on the King Khalid Air
2: Force base. Wow. Can I ask you something? A couple months ago, you and I had an email exchange where I pointed out Donald Trump had a speech and he, it sounded to me like he used some of your language in that speech and you said yes, that you had briefed Donald Trump on EMP. Have you briefed other people in uh, higher up in the government and have they taken it seriously? I thought Cruz do that last year, too. That was good.
1: raise the issue publicly, but I can understand that for political reasons you might not want to do that because when Gingrich did it, okay, the man I think deserves tremendous credit for having the courage to go out there. But what routinely happens is when any Republican mentions EMP, the left and the, and the, and the, and the so-called mainstream media, especially the liberal media, they'll jump all over him and say he's got tinfoil on his head,
2: he's conspiracy paranoid, he's yeah. a crazy threat, exactly, yeah. Can I ask you about your book, The the Long Sunday, Election Day 2016 to Inauguration Day 2017? I think the premise... the last part of that
1: book, uh, the song of its long subtitle is uh, Nuclear EMP Attack
2: Scenarios. Oh, okay. And I noticed in your book you had several different possibilities of... And, well, the premise of your book is that during this period between the election and the inauguration of the new president, that that would be kind of a prime time to initiate an EMP attack on, on the U.S. And you mentioned several different scenarios, several different possibilities. What are do you think are among the top? I noticed you mentioned uh, Iran attacking Israel first. I think that was your first scenario. But how would you prioritize these these different attack scenarios?
1: Well, you know, that's really not sure it's uh, it's possible to do that. But let me uh, explain the premise of the book a little uh, little more depth. Uh, uh, I'm not uh, predicting that there's going to be a nuclear EMP attack between Election Day and Inauguration Day. Uh, uh, One of the main points I'm making in the book is uh, that it's possible and not just possible, but entirely plausible there are so many bad things happening in the world. Indeed, you know, it's almost become commonplace for people today, for people in the strategic area, to talk about how we're on the verge of a world war. And I think we are on the verge of a possible world war. Even the deputy commander of NATO, General Sharif, uh, uh, has written a book on that that was published earlier this year. It's given press interviews. You know, the deputy commander of NATO himself is talking about the possibility that We might get into uh, to a nuclear war with Russia within a year. And that was back in May 2016 when he was saying that. So uh, my point is, is that as a consequence of eight years of the Obama administration's reckless foreign and defense policy, you know, where we have basically alienated our allies and our enemies are no longer afraid of us, and we have we have uh, diminished our navy and our army.
2: I think you mentioned in your book also that the Iron Dome system that Israel has, is, has so far has been excellent in shooting incoming uh, missiles, but it has a ceiling of, I think, 10,000 feet. Exactly. So if, if right. a missile were shot obviously above that amount, which is what would entail in an EMP attack, then Israel is defenseless.
1: I think one of the most plausible scenarios would be an Iranian attack on Israel. And I, I think that's plausible, by the way, because I also think the Obama administration is either got its head in the sand, or is wrong, or is covering up the likelihood that Iran already has nuclear-armed missiles. Just like North Korea had nuclear-armed missiles during the Clinton administration, and he lied about that, and to the American people, because he didn't want to pay the political price. And I suppose they, they rationalized, the rationalization is, oh, we didn't want to uh, uh, give North Korea the prestige of, uh, of, uh, of acknowledging that they were a nuclear weapons state. Which I, I really think in a democracy, it's a very dangerous thing for a president or an administration to, to know such a dangerous fact and then to conceal it from the American people. Yeah, much more likely explanation is they just don't want to take the political hit. They don't want to do anything about it because they don't know what to do. They're afraid to act. And um, it's just much easier politically to lie about it. Uh, yep. Yep. That's that, that's a, a repeated pattern. In, in, it, it was a, a pattern in the Clinton administration. He didn't just lie about Monica Lewinsky. He lied about all kinds of things <laughs> that were vital to our security. At well, one point, he signed a treaty with Moscow called the Detargeting Agreement that, that he went around and over a hundred times claimed that he had ended the nuclear threat from from Russia by this detargeting agreement. But it was not verifiable. Jim Woolsey, his own CIA director, testified in front of the House Armed Services Committee that it was really a meaningless agreement because we couldn't verify it. And even if the Russian
2: Hey, speaking many, many of, like if that if I can here. bring up uh, the issue of uh, verifiability, uh, this last agreement with Iran, as I understand it, calls for Iran to get rid of its enriched uranium, and yet they can choose when and where and how inspections are done. Is that correct?
1: that was one of the major reasons for going in. And, uh, uh, And inspections later on, they conclude, well, we were wrong. showing some of these underground facilities uh, and the the data was reviewed by Fritz Irmarth, who who is the former chairman of the National Intelligence Council and ambassador Henry Cooper you know who's a, a scientist and They had the core technologies that put them within months of getting a bomb. It just is implausible, implausible to me, implausible to many people who really understand nuclear weapons design. That Iran then uh, then has been then just sat on its laurels and waited for uh, the Obama administration. And, and learn, you know, you can really easily
2: roll the United States. <laughs> you know, just negotiate with them. You know, you can actually get
1: money from them. Lots cool, of
2: cash, yeah. Cool. They probably yeah, right, want to get, uh, get they, the bomb they themselves. They
1: feel abandoned and betrayed by the United States, and they're right.
2: Mm-hmm. You and I talked before we went on the air about the convertibility of kilograms of uh, enriched uranium to kilotonnage. If we kind of use it as a marker, the Hiroshima explosion detonated about a kilogram of uranium, right? And that wound up being about 13 kilotons, give or take.
1: Well, the Hiroshima bomb had a lot more than one kilogram. You know, I think it had. Something like 50 kilograms of uranium in it. Okay, but it acted. But it was a very inefficient bomb design. I mean, it was one of the first bomb designs, and the uh, Nagasaki uh, bomb had uh, something like uh, six uh, kilograms of plutonium in it. But it too was a early bomb design, inefficient bomb design. Both weapons actually ended up fissioning only in one kilogram. One kilogram out of all the other, um, uh, extra uranium, which was just wasted, and one kilogram of plutonium out of the six kilograms of plutonium, <clears> all <throat> the rest of it, which was wasted. So that demonstrated that actually you don't need five to six kilograms of plutonium, uh, uh, that when it comes to plutonium or uranium, you know, just one kilogram is actually enough.
2: To right, build it,
1: one it, it, bomb. If you have, if you have decent design bomb, if you're a good bomb designer, or even a bomb designer.
2: And do you know the latest estimates of how many kilograms of enriched uranium or plutonium Iran has?
1: It's in the hundreds.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: and now they were now they were supposed to have um, diluted that. Okay, the Obama administration takes credit for 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 them destroying the uranium, but they didn't well,
2: destroy it. we believe their, if, if we take their word for it.
1: there hasn't been any independent verification except the the word of Iran and the word of Russia. Some of the Iranian uh, uh, uranium was was sent to Russia for safekeeping. Um, They haven't sent all of their uranium. They're allowed to keep hundreds of kilograms of it, Um, Uh you know, enough for for several bombs. And that's the uranium we know about, again. That's the uranium we know about that was in the uh, civilian facilities. You know, we don't know what they have in the.
2: That brings me to uh, the next part of the uh, podcast I wanted to ask you about. If it's possible to summarize, you had an excellent article about North Korea a couple months ago and how we're underestimating their uh, missiles as far as ICBMs and intermediate range uh, missiles. If I were to ask you to summarize, you know, what North Korea is up to, how would you answer that as far as EMP, nuclear, and as far as missile capabilities?
1: And the KN-14, and both of these are assessed having nuclear weapons that can reach the United States, perhaps as far as Washington D.C. I'm not talking about the United States, Alaska, and Hawaii, actual mainland the United States. And uh, these are this is quite a sophisticated uh, system to have a road mobile ICBM. The only countries in the world that have road mobile ICBMs are Russia and China and North Korea. Well, Backward North Korea has got a road-mobile ICBM. Not even the United States has a road-mobile ICBM.
2: Now, well, well, that was going to be my question. Do you think that these ICBMs from North Korea can reach the United States? And what have the tests shown either way? Well, they
1: haven't flight-tested the, the missiles, so there's controversy there. Uh, but they have done static testing of the missiles. And um, uh, the press hides behind the notion of are the missiles operational or not. Now, by Western standards, they wouldn't be considered operational because they haven't been adequately flight-tested. Neither of the ICBMs, to our knowledge, has been flight-tested. Although it's possible that uh, that a couple of missile launches that North Korea has engaged in recently that failed were tests of the KN-08. Our, our national tech of technical means, STRATCOM, doesn't always get it right in terms of which missiles were tested. Uh, they, uh, a couple of missiles that were their intermediate range ballistic missile called the Musudan. Stratcom claims those were the missiles that failed, but there might have been a couple of te- uh, actual flight tests of the KN-8 recently, both of which failed. And that's the big drawback on North Korea's program. Uh, you know that because they've done so little flight testing, they have a their priority is to get the missiles out there in the field to pose some kind of threat. Okay. But the reliability of the missiles is unknown. Well, and, uh, and, and, the, the, uh, and the reliability hasn't been high on, on, on some of these tests. But it doesn't have to be high when you're talking about doing an EMP attack or, 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 or trying to deter the United States from supporting Japan and South Korea. All they need to do is have the capability to have, to have like 30 to 50 Musadans in the field, right? Uh, you know, we know that increases the reliability better and better. It's not like you
2: know that they, they were able to use these missiles to get satellites up into outer space, so they're at least somewhat you know uh, usable.
1: Yeah, the Taipodong-2, uh, their so-called Unha space launch vehicle, which is administered by the military. They don't have a civilian, NASA. Their space launch program that they advertise as peaceful is, is managed by their military. And so they have gotten two satellites, which are currently in orbit over us, KMS-2 and KMS, or excuse me, KMS-3 and KMS-4 satellites presently orbit right over the United States periodically on an optimum trajectory to evade national missile defenses and do an EMP attack. And we don't know what's on those satellites. They could have nuclear weapons in those satellites.
2: Yes. In my book, EMP, The End of the Grid as We Know It, I have a couple of internet links that you can press, and it'll take you to some websites that will show you exactly where those North Korean satellites are at any given time.
1: And the object. First objective isn't to destroy the United States, okay? The object is is to win without war, which mm-hmm. is the great thing about nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are strategic weapons. Nuclear missiles have always been strategic missiles because it enables you to win without war. People forget that... How how was it? We talked about how the Cold War ended without war, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how did that happen? It's because we managed to maintain a strong enough nuclear deterrent. The thing that kept the Cold War from becoming a nuclear war is that Ronald Reagan kept pace with the Russians. He didn't allow them to achieve a war-winning advantage in the the strategic nuclear balance. So the five-to-one advantage they had in divisions and armor, they could have rolled right over NATO Europe at almost any time during the Cold War. But they were afraid to do that because they knew if it escalated to the nuclear level, they would be dead. You know, both sides would be eliminated, that they couldn't fight and win a nuclear war. Reagan kept them from ever getting to that point. And we won the Cold War by by that strategic means, by the strategic nuclear balance. And that's how come the Cold War ended. The Soviet Union went down to the ash heap of history uh, without a shot being fired, you know, because nuclear weapons enable you to win. We did it, okay?
2: Yep, yep. Why
1: aren't we looking at it from the other side? That's what North Korea wants to do to us, mm-hmm. you know? And they uh, What they want, you know, they want the United States to abandon our allies in Japan and South Korea for us to say, you know, it's too risky to guarantee our security. We really want to trade Chicago or Washington, D.C. for Tokyo or Seoul if, if an attack were to occur on those countries. I mean, that's a really—actually, it's not a hard question to answer. I think most Americans would say, no, we don't want to trade Chicago or Washington, D.C. for Tokyo or Seoul. Those people have got to be responsible for their own security. You know, We don't want to have a nuclear—to sacrifice American lives by the millions in order to safeguard Seoul and Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Those calculations that we do would enable
2: North Korea to win the second— Korean War without firing a shot. And that's
1: what they're in the process of doing now. That's why they're trying to build a credible nuclear deterrent to
2: deter us from supporting our allies, to encourage us to vacate our
1: presence from the Western Pacific so that we could avoid getting in a conflict with them. And that's why Russia and China are clandestinely supporting the North Korean nuclear program, because they want us to go away as a superpower, too. And if worse comes to worst. Russia and China would much rather uh, have a nuclear war fought between us and North Korea, have North Korea do their, their dirty work for them, which North Korea can do with just one nuclear-armed satellite doing an EMP
2: attack. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty scary. Anyway, Dr. Pry, I think we're running out of time right about now, but I wanted to ask you if there's anything you wanted to add to any of your earlier comments.
1: I wish I had taken advantage of your opportunity to talk more about the Long Sunday. Uh... Kind of got sidetracked there. Oh,
2: go ahead.
1: Yeah. just the theme of that, uh, you know, is that the seventy-four day period. You know, we're not going to be out of the woods when the elections are over. I think we're just going to be entering the woods. The highest risk period, I think, from an adversary's point of view, is the seventy-four day period between the elections inauguration day. Why is that? You know, because President Obama is going to be a lame duck government is going to be in transition, regardless of who wins, whether it's Hillary or Trump, there's going to be this period of transition. You know, this. Uh, uh, so the government is going to be naturally disrupted, which is one of the chief goals. It's the first time in eight years that you're going to have a change in administration so that they'll have this transition that lasts weeks, you know, where we're going to be at a low point in terms of our governmental effectiveness and our readiness and our vigilance because of the transition. It also happens during the holiday season, you know, Thanksgiving and uh, and uh, the Christmas, New Year's, plus the inaugural celebrations, which last like 10 days. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of people are out of town. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor on a Sunday, you know, because our vigilance at, at its lowest, the army and the navy in Hawaii were at lowest the vigilance on a Sunday, and they were right. You know uh, uh, that was an important contributing factor to the success of their surprise attack. Well, this seventy-four day period, I call it a long Sunday because the whole period was a period of relaxed vigilance. It's also an artifact of our agrarian past. I mean, we have this long transition, which most other countries don't have. You know, because it was just, uh, you know, it goes back to the 1840s when we were an agrarian society and it took um, everything, the pace of government and the pace of the transition moved at the speed of a horse and buggy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this concept, this artifact that we have from our agrarian past never anticipated that we could be at risk from a nuclear missile age or from cyber attacks would move at the speed of light. So looking at it from the point of view of a uh, of a... Uh, and politically, also, the elections are not going to bring... Whoever wins this election is not going to bring the people together. I mean, we're we're, we're more divided, I think, than, than since the Civil War.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, there's going to be great bitterness on one side or the other, whoever wins this presidential election. So from top to bottom, uh, the country will be divided. And I'm not sure we'll come together if the adversaries decided... If the adversary, Russia, China, North Korea, or Iran... Or terrorists decided to attack one of our allies or the United States itself. I, it's hard to imagine everybody rallying together behind whoever the new elected president is. I, the way things have been going, it's more likely people will blame either the lame duck president or whoever the new president is rather than rushing to support the flag. Yep. Um, but I guess that's just the last thought. I, uh, I hope it doesn't happen that way. And, uh, but <laughs> the fact that it could happen that way. In fact, that it could happen that way. Uh, the reason it could happen that way is because of the last eight years of the way the Obama administration has run this country. Uh, my friends, we can't afford another four years, or eight years, or even another one year of this. You know, recording disaster. You know, it would be like it would it would be like you know reelecting Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> if you want to avoid World War Three, you know, cast yeah. your vote wisely.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I sure appreciate that. And uh, how can our listeners stay in touch with you and, and your work?
1: Well, uh, my books are on Amazon.com, The Long Sunday, and uh, I have a website, the
2: emptaskforce.org. Dr. Pry, we'd like to thank you for all your efforts at getting the word out on the dangers of EMP. We'd also like to thank you for joining us here today at Today's Survival.
1: Thank you. Thank you all. Good luck
2: to us all. Yes, thanks.